0: We're in Mark chapter 7, uh, verse 24 through 30, and it's the section about the Syrophoenician woman's faith. Mark chapter 7, verse 24 to 30. If you guys can have that in front of you and follow along with me, I'm going to be reading the ESV version, Uh, and just a reminder that this is the Word of God. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It reads, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. For it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Verse 28. But she answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Amen. Amen.
1: Thanks, Peter. Um, as we begin, uh, why don't I pray for us? I've been have, having one of these mornings. Like ten minutes ago, I spilt my um, thermos flask full of coffee on my table. You know, went all over the place. So, <laughs> um, I need the Lord's help. Let's pray. Uh, pray with me. Um, God, uh, we come before you. Uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, we want to meet with you. Uh, we want your word to challenge us deeply in our lives, in our hearts. Um, that regardless of you know this, d- despite this lockdown. Um, that we might see you at work in our lives and that you might draw us close to you and that we might sense your presence and know that you are close to us. And so God, uh, speak powerfully through me, Uh, maybe your words and open our hearts as we open up your word uh, so that those two things can come together today. Uh, In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Uh, Have you ever thought uh, that someone didn't belong in the church? Uh, Whether because of past history Uh, what you know about their problems in their lives, um, just kind of the kind of person that they are, right? You conclude, you know, this place, um, this person uh, doesn't really belong in the church or church isn't really a place for them, right? They don't belong in the church. You know, maybe that's something you thought of someone before. or Maybe that's something you've thought about yourself, right? I don't belong in the church. Um, And maybe that affects you right now in who you reach out to and how you reach out to them right? This person, and you know, I can see them in church, they belong there, but that person, you know, I don't see them coming to church. I don't think they'll ever have faith, you know, they don't belong in the church, right? Have you ever thought that before? And in today's uh, passage, it challenges uh, any of us who thought that some should be welcome and some shouldn't be welcomed to Christ and to the church, because we're going to find Jesus, he's going to have this surprising encounter with someone that we would never have imagined him ever speaking with. And in that person, we're going to find a surprising faith, right? A, a tremendous faith that we've never seen before uh, through this gospel. Um, and as we do that, I think you will actually touch on what I've been wrestling with, um, which is should churches be closed to, you know, unvaccinated people right now? Right? I don't know if you have thought about that. It's something I've been wrestling with. It doesn't directly answer it, but I think it does touch on um, that question and how we should at least be thinking about that question as we approach it. And so it's been challenging for me, and maybe it'll kind of challenge you in that way as well. And so today I want to talk about two things. We want to look at this surprising encounter, right? Who Jesus meets, where she, where he meets her, um, and then second, a surprising faith, right? A surprising encounter and a surprising faith. So let's go to a surprising encounter. You know, when we get to Jesus here in this passage, there are three things that make this whole scenario a very surprising. And the three things is the place, the problem, and the person. Right? The place, the problem, and the person, and all of these things are unclean. Right? They're unclean. Verse 24 we read, and from there Jesus arose and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And then the from there, where did Jesus come from? If you remember last week, Jesus had this debate with these Jewish religious leaders about what was clean and unclean, right? The religious leaders, they were making a fuss that Jesus' disciples were eating with unclean hands because they had this man-made rule that you had to wash your hand. And if you didn't wash your hand, it's not clean. And again, it's not unhygienic. That's not what they're talking about. They thought it was religiously, like spiritually unclean. So if you ate food with these unclean hands, you're taking this uncleanliness into your body and you're making yourself unclean, right? In a sense, you are sinning. And Jesus rebuked them because he said, number one, that's man's law and you should follow God's law. But also number two, it's not what's on the outside that goes in that makes you unclean. It's what's in your heart that comes out, right? The problem is the heart, our sinful hearts. And that is what we need to fix. And that whole debate happened with Jewish religious leaders on Jewish land, right? Jews being God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And so that's where Jesus is coming from, from the Jewish area. And he says he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And so this is the first thing. It's a surprising place because Tyre uh, was a place that the Jews just, they didn't like. They had a previous conflict with them. You could kind of trace it back all the way to the Old Testament. If uh, You've heard of a, a woman named Jezebel, uh, an evil prophet, a prophetess. Um, back in the time of Elijah, Jezebel was from Tyre, and her and her pagan prophets tried to overthrow Israel. Right? Not that long ago, a couple of centuries before you know, this passage in Mark, Tyre, again, uh, they joined some other people in fighting the Jews, right, in what they call the Maccabean Revolt. Right. And so they attacked the Jews. And so all of this uh, would lead um, the Jewish historian, Josephus, to say about Tyre, Tyre is notoriously our bitterest enemies. Right. And so they didn't like them, basically. Right? They had beef. Uh, but also second, um, Tyre was a extremely pagan place, a right? Gentile. Right? So you got the Jewish people and everyone else that's not a Jew, um, they were called Gentiles and they were considered unclean. And yet out of all these unclean places, Tyre is one of the bad ones, right? The really pagan, ungodly, sinful places, right? One commentator says Tyre probably represented the most extreme expression of paganism, both actually and symbolically that a Jew could expect to encounter. And so Tyre is like a bad, bad place. And Jesus, this rabbi, is going to this disliked, unholy, unclean place, right? So that's the first surprise. It's an unclean place. The second is that there's an unclean problem. Verse 25, it says, but immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So Jesus is in this unclean place and then he encounters a woman with an unclean problem. Her daughter has an unclean spirit. Now, unclean spirit is synonym for a demonic or evil spirit, but they're called unclean because they were wicked. They were evil, right? A person possessed by the spirit would, you know, be doing evil and harmful things. And so again, you got this repetition of unclean, right? Out of all the things that Jesus could have encountered at this moment, problem of hunger, a problem of a lack of knowledge, a problem of past sin. It is an unclean spirit that he's encountering in this unclean place. And third, we have an unclean person, verse 26. It says, now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. This person who comes to Jesus is the last kind of person a rabbi would normally interact with. Uh, One commentator, he he describes this verse as a crescendo of demerit. It's like the more you read the sentence, the worse it gets, right? Three things, she's a woman. Now, unfortunately, at the time, women were looked down upon in society, right? A rabbi would not speak to a woman. Um, For example, uh, there was a, a group of Pharisees, religious leaders, And called the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees, right? That's what their group was called, the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees. And the reason why they were called that was uh, when they're walking down the street, if they saw a woman, they would close their eyes and they they would like bump into stuff and they'd hurt themselves, bruise and bleed. And that's why they're called the Bruised and Bleeding Pharisees, right? They wouldn't even look at women. And so imagine this rabbi speaking to a woman, right? Interacting with her, right? I know that's, that's extreme, right? Not only that, she's a woman. It says, number two, she's a Gentile, right? A non-Jewish person, a person that the religious leaders would avoid and really exclude from God's promises. And the number three, she's Syrophoenician by birth, right? So one of those Syrophoenicians, right? Very famous pagans, right? And you add those all together, we have a very unclean person, right? Unclean place, the region of Tyre and Sidon. Unclean problem, we got an unclean spirit. And we have an unclean person, or right? a woman, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician, and so this is a very surprising encounter that we have. Jesus is meeting this woman and all this uncleanliness, right? but none of this is an accident. This is all completely on purpose, because again, last week, do you remember the debate that Jesus had with the religious leaders? It was about what is clean and what is unclean and the religious leaders were saying it's the things on the outside that made someone unclean stuff like the place the problem the person the religious leaders would never be found speaking to someone like this in a place like this right because of a supposed uncleanliness and so it's no accident that after that conversation about what is clean or unclean that Jesus then immediately goes off to an quote unquote unclean place with an unclean problem, to an unclean person. He's trying to prove a point that there is no one too unclean for him. There's no such thing as a too unclean. Right? That's what the religious leaders would do. They'd exclude someone from God because of their uncleanliness. But Jesus is saying that doesn't really exist. Contrary to what the religious leaders thought, uncleanliness, I said last week, was a hard issue. Right? The problem's inside of us. Right? The heart of, a problem, heart of the problem is a problem of the heart. And the external things the religious leaders were making a big fuss about were not the real issue. And because the issue's in the heart, we're all in the same boat. We're all unclean. Right? We all have dirty hearts that need transformation by Jesus, whether the religious leaders or this pagan Gentile woman we're all unclean. We all need Jesus. And so Jesus, to make that point, he goes to the opposite kind of place, to a very unclean person to reach out to her. And we're actually going to find Jesus reach out to the Gentiles over these next few passages. And this really shows us the heart of Jesus in the Gospels, the heart of God, that God longs for all people to come to him, regardless of how they might appear on the outside and regardless of how society might perceive them. Jesus was frequently criticized through his ministry for welcoming those that everyone else had rejected due to you know, their uncleanliness and however they defined that. He would go to the poor, he'd go to the prostitutes, he'd go to the sinners, he'd go to the diseased, or he'd go to the contagious I'll talk about that I think a bit more next week. And whereas society and even the religious leaders of the time would close the, their doors on these people, Jesus would open his arms to them and welcome them to himself. And so when we consider the heart of Jesus, right it challenges us, right, If we ever think that this kind of person doesn't belong, to, with God doesn't belong maybe even in the church and I feel like we we think about this when we again think about those who we know has have have a sinful past uh, they got problems in their lives uh, they got bad character traits and we think well they don't belong in the church but again uh, we're reminded that we're all in the same boat To say that someone doesn't belong in the church because of these external things is really to be like a Pharisee and sit sit in the seat of judgment, to think that we're better than them, when the reality is we're all sinners, we all need Christ, and Christ welcomes all to himself. But, you know, when we think about our our struggle right now with, you know, or maybe it's my struggle with, you know, the church and the unvaccinated, um, you know, it, it challenges that our perspective and our approach to that as well because I think right now even amongst christians there's this i, th- I think negative attitude towards you know, those who are unvaccinated um, like an automatic judgment or an exclusion towards them and like i'm not saying like from this passage um, unvaccinated people you know we should always open the church to unvaccinated people I don't think you can get there but I think it definitely challenges you know the way that we see the unvaccinated people Do we exclude them um, and do we judge them and do we cut them out or do we love them and reach out to them with the heart of Christ? I just want to point out two things from this passage. Number one, that the true problem of uncleanliness is a heart problem. I'm not saying that COVID is not important or the fact that there are contagious diseases or viruses is not important, but the ultimate problem, Of anyone's life is an uncleanliness, not of the body, but of the heart. You know, I could have COVID, but more important than me getting rid of COVID is that I get rid of the uncleanliness, that disease in my heart called sin. And more important than that unclean person not getting COVID or getting cleansed of COVID, the more important for that person is that they meet Jesus and they get a cleansing in their heart. And I think we need to think of it that way. Um, I think we're we're so afraid of getting COVID that potentially we might be cutting people out from hearing about Jesus and meeting him, which is the more important issue at hand for Christians. It's better for us to die early as a Christian than to live long as an unbeliever. And so we should care more about the spiritual life of people than just the physical life and how long we might be able to live that. But that's the true problem. And that's the true uncleanness that Jesus and we want to tackle. And again, it's not that this situation with COVID is not important. I'm not saying let's get rid of, you know, all guidelines and, you know, be you know, full of risk and unwise. That's not the case. Um, but there is something more important right now, right now that we should be worrying about and thinking about and praying about than you know, getting physically sick and unclean. Right? It's the heart uncleanness. And that's the issue uh, that is pervasive across all people, and we want people to meet Jesus. And so, when we're thinking about church, we want people, right? And this isn't this isn't always in black and white. There are times when you want to maybe say no to some people, you know. But the the default position of the Christian and the church is for anyone to come meet Jesus, and that's Jesus' heart. I just want to say that. The heart of Jesus in this passage throughout the scriptures is extremely broad and wide and deep that everyone is welcome to him. Right? No one's rejected, not this unclean woman, not the poor, not the prostitutes, not the sinners, not the diseased. Right, Again, I'll talk about that next week. The heart of Christ, and the heart of the church, right, is to see all people come to him. And So today's story is surprising because it's an encounter that should not have happened. A a religious rabbi like Jesus should never have reached out to an unclean person like this woman. It's shocking. But in this shocking, kind of um, unexpected encounter, we clearly see the love of Christ. And I wonder for us as a church and and your attitude toward unvaccinated people, if this is a moment for Christians in the church, an opportunity for us to really show in our maybe shocking responses to how much Christians love all people, right? we will challenge the status quo and we would show the love of Christ extends even beyond what society accepts, even to the quote unquote, the unclean. I just want to challenge us there, okay? And and this isn't a, we haven't decided what's going to happen. But I think, you know, even as we decide, or even as you think of unvaccinated people, I think what should be pervasive in you is that you should want to love the unlovable, right? Number two, we see a surprising faith. Now, not only does Jesus have this surprising encounter with a person in a place with a problem that, you know, you would never expect him to meet uh, with, but the second surprising thing is that the faith of this person that he meets, right, who we should never have met, this unclean person, their, her faith is tremendous. right? Uh, and, and I think it really goes to show that often the people that we would cut off from God and say, well, you don't belong in the church, would actually surprise us. Their faith would surprise us if we would give them a chance. Now, when we uh, continue reading verse 26, It says, this woman begged Jesus to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Jesus says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Right? This is a kind of confusing phrase. Let me read it again. Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, initially, it seems like Jesus is rejecting her. But what he's really doing is that, as he kind of puts a barrier in front of her, it becomes an opportunity for us to see the full beauty of her faith, right? As he says, no, right? We see three things about a faith that is uh, really, um, I guess, encouraging and something that we should model as well. And so the first thing I want to point out is her persistent faith, her persistent faith. In Matthew's account, um, when he recalls this situation, he, he actually recalls that Jesus denies the woman three times. Right. It, it seems like he says no to her three times, but every time she keeps persisting, right? And she doesn't give up. Uh, this annoys the di- disciples. They actually beg Jesus. He says, they came and begged Jesus, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. Right? Send her away, they beg him. Uh, and, and when we hear this kind of persistent, continual, um, coming before Jesus, it can sound like a bad thing, right? That's how the disciples interpreted it. Um, But the reality is that this kind of persistent faith, uh, when coming before Jesus with the right things, with the right motives, right? Willing to accept his will at the end of the day, that persistence is a positive thing, right? If you flip it the other way around, um, imagine a Christian who comes to God and prays once and then gives up. That's not the kind of faith that we want. We can't want the kind of faith right, in you and me and in all, in all Christians uh, that you know, trusts in God's character so much, His goodness so much, His promises so much that we would keep coming before Him over and over again, even about the same thing, right? even if it feels like He's not answering. Or when you pray for the salvation of a friend or a family member, or when you want to pray for a breakthrough in, in your life, in, in, a, in a, uh, a sinful habit. Right? In these things, we want to persist in prayer. And a persistent prayer life in those things is a good thing. And so the first thing we see in this woman is persistent faith. Uh, this is the faith that we don't see in the disciples. They give up so quickly, filled with fear so quickly. Right? The religious leaders have already given up on Jesus. Right? But she has a persistent faith. Right? The second thing is that she has a perceptive faith. In verse 27, it says, And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, this is a a parable. It's like a very short parable that Jesus is giving. And the children in the parable is the people of Israel. They were the Old Testament people of God. And the dogs that Jesus refers to are the Gentiles, right? Everyone else is not a Jew. And so what Jesus is saying is, I came first, to reach out to the children that is Israel right and the time isn't really now for the dogs right which is the Gentiles now there's no way getting around this Jesus just called this woman a dog right he called you know Gentiles dogs and um, back at the Jewish time Uh, It was really an insult to call someone a dog, right? Kind of like now, you wouldn't call anyone a dog. Um, The dogs were like considered the most despicable, uh, miserable of creatures. And so he just called her her a dog. Um, This is probably the harshest thing I think Jesus might have ever said uh, in in his ministry. Now, um, the usage of the word dog was quite common for Jewish rabbis to refer to Gentiles as dogs. And again, because, you know, in their minds, Gentiles, non-Jewish people were unclean. They they were rejected. They were cut off from God. And so one reason Jesus uses this language is to show, I guess, the generally accepted approach to to, to Gentiles, right? This is what rabbis would say, "You're your dogs. Um, But Jesus does something important here. Um, Jesus makes a, a change in the way that he uses the word dog. He doesn't use the common word for dog, like a scavenger dog. But the word he uses is for a house dog, like a small dog, like a house pet. And when you think about a house pet, I don't know about you, but the, the, the kind of the feeling changes, the sentiment. House pets are loved. Right? I don't know about you, if you have a house pet, um, they are treated like part of the home, part of the family. In today's age, uh, they even get a place on the bed, maybe. Now, some of us love our pets, our house pets, more than our siblings, right? So house pet uh, is a different meaning here. But so Jesus is taking this normal word that the rabbis would use to cut off right, the Gentiles, but he changes it in a way to make it way more inclusive, all right? But the way she responds shows how much she's perceptive. because she really understands what he's saying. In verse 28, she says, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Now, I'll go on in the next point to kind of explain a little bit of what she she means. Um, But what she's doing here is that she's using Jesus' parable to answer. Her answer is using the parable itself, which means that she understands what he's saying. She understands, and she's kind of doing a counter-argument using the analogy or the parable that Jesus had used himself. And this is real perception, right? Jesus given a short parable, didn't explain it, and in that moment, she heard it, she understood, and then she responds using that very same parable. You know, this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark Anyone has understood a parable of Jesus without it needing to be explained. First time anyone has understood, like heard the parable of Jesus and said, I, I know what you're saying. This is the first time, right? This looks kind of amazing how uh, little people understand. You know, the religious leaders um, who thought they were so clean, they don't understand Jesus. The disciples who were with Jesus from the beginning and hear and see everything he does and say and do, they always need clarification. But this unclean woman, right, who Jesus should not have encountered, but does, understands immediately. She has a perceptive faith, right, which is really shocking. And the third thing about a faith, it's, it's persistent, it, it's per- perceptive, and it's poor. She has a poor faith, as in poor in spirit when you think of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. She answers, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You know, she understands the dogs is the gentiles, and she's one of those gentiles, and the children are the Israelites. And she responds, Yes, Lord, even the dogs, that's me, we get to eat from the crumbs. And as she says that, she's acknowledging right with humility that she is technically an outsider. Technically, she has no place and no right to ask anything of Jesus. And I think that requires a a real poor in spirit, I have nothing to give to you, Jesus, attitude, which is the starting point for any person to come to faith in Jesus. The first place people need to come to is a realization that I have nothing to give to Jesus. I have no right. I have no good right? My, my heart is sinful, right? I, I, I need him desperately, right? I, I, I'm an outsider, right? That's the first place we need to get to, right? And she accepts that of herself. But not only that, the reason she's able to persist in her asking is because she also understands that even though she has nothing to give, Christ is generous in his grace, right? If, if I have nothing and I'm an outsider, why would I keep asking Jesus for help? The only reason is if you believe that Jesus loves the outsider, that his grace would extend even to the dogs like her. You know, in her response, she does a clever wordplay like Jesus does. You know, I said Jesus, he changes the word dog to make it more inclusive. Now, I think she picks it up, right? Again, she's very perceptive. Because when she responds to Jesus, she also changes a word. Now, when Jesus talks about the children, that's the people of Israel. He uses the Greek word "technon," right, which is a very narrow term, right? It means biological children, right? It's very kind of narrow in who it includes, right? Biological children, which you know, would mean Israel, right? Because they're biologically um, from Israel. But when the woman responds. When she says children, she uses a different word. It's, if you care, it's paidon, uh, which is a much broader, inclusive word. Right? It's children, but it includes not just biological children, but also the servants of the household. Now, why does this matter? Right? It's as if she, she understands. Right? The household of God is not just for Israel, right? but it is broader. It includes even those who are not technically biologically from Israel. By changing that one word, uh, she's showing a tremendous understanding and faith in God, a a trust that God includes those who are not of Israel, includes outsiders like her, even unclean Gentiles who are not originally or should, should originally not be welcomed into his presence. Now, this is the whole reason why Jesus is here. He's here to reach out to the unclean, right, the outsider. But the religious leaders, they don't understand that. They would never be found with this woman. The disciples, you know, really, they don't understand it either. We're going to find later in Acts 10, the apostle Peter begin to understand that God's love is for the Gentiles, right? It takes a long time after Jesus rises from the dead. But here in this moment, this woman, it's like she gets it she understands that the heart of God is for those whom society has rejected, but even for the Gentiles, even for the outsiders, God will welcome them into his presence. Again, the end result is that her daughter is healed. I want to read Matthew's, um, the way that Matthew says it in Matthew 15, 28. He says, Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith be it done for you as you desire, and her daughter was healed instantly. O woman, great is your faith. Did you know that uh, through the um, life of Jesus, he only commends uh, two people for their faith? Only twice does he say you have great faith. One is the Roman centurion in Matthew chapter 8, and the other is this woman. Both of them are outsiders, non-Jews, Gentiles, and he looks at this woman's faith, at this uh, woman who is quote-unquote unclean, a person that maybe society would have rejected and said, you have no place in the presence of God, and yet he looks at this woman, her persistent faith, her perceptive faith, her poor faith, and he says, oh great is your faith, and what a surprising faith in the midst of a surprising encounter you know as we look at this woman i guess one thing we can take away is that you know we should have this kind of faith a poor faith that is humble right you know um i I don't know when you when you read the bible um like i don't know if you know that you're a gentile like we're, we're all gentiles by the way we're all outsiders Um, We're not Jews. Like, you know, we kind of insert ourselves into um, the welcome people. None of us should be welcomed into the presence of Jesus. Um, But by God's grace, he welcomes us. We have nothing to give to him. We have sin. We have sinful hearts. And we should be rejected. Um, But I think we need a poor, humble faith like this woman has. Not prideful like the religious leaders. Perceptive like this woman understanding Jesus, right, that the disciples and the religious leaders failed to do. And in that place, persistence, because we know God is a gracious God. Um, but I think the other thing that we can take away, and I'm just going to close with this, is again, the, the way that we approach and think about people um, and who should be uh, welcomed into the presence of God and who shouldn't. Because, you know, Jesus goes to the most unlikely of places, meets the most, you know, unclean person, and in her finds the greatest faith we've seen until now in the Gospel of Mark. You know, I think that should challenge the way that we see other people. Uh, You know, we look at maybe some of our friends and we think there's no way that person would ever come to God. That person doesn't belong in the church. But, you know, God may surprise you that in the most unlikeliest of places and the unlikeliest of people, that he will generate the greatest faith, even more so than the religious. I think it should really challenge us in the way that we welcome and we open our hearts and reach out to other people. You know, Jesus found the least faith, I think, in his hometown. Those who were closest to him. And then he goes out to those who are furthest from him and he finds the greatest faith. And I want that to challenge us again in this surprising encounter, Jesus finds surprising faith. And again, you know, as we wrestle and maybe you wrestle with your uh, attitude toward the unclean, unvaccinated, um, you know, I think our hearts should be loving and gracious and challenged um, and not closed off. You know, because I don't think Jesus uh, would have um, ever closed his heart off to uh, anyone unvaccinated. And so, you know, just on a personal level, um, if there's, I guess, judgment, um, and, and I don't know, it's complicated, I know. Um, but I think our response is to disagree, but to love and to pray and long for people, right? even the unclean, to come to faith in Jesus.